This is the Girly Men Podcast. My name is Mike Gurley, and I am the host and founder of girlymen.com, a community of gay men and anyone self-identified as the other, designed to help you own your personal dignity, strengthen your connection to your chosen families, and thrive in general society. Today I talk with Jesse Bruin. I wanted Jesse on the show because of his deep sense of personal dignity, the no-nonsense realness he evokes while embracing spirituality, but mostly because of his ability to give white people concrete advice on advancing social justice for black Americans. He's been a celebrity chef and a personal trainer, which placed him on Bravo and Oprah, but his spiritual work is his true calling. He shows us how celebrating his authenticity as a gay man is key to his spiritual growth. Enjoy the show. The moment you realized you were a gay man, you were forced onto the path of the other. So you know oppression, inside and out. The calling of otherness has led you on your own hero's journey. And that journey has prepared you for greatness. You are a man answering the call to brotherhood, to conscious sex, and to heart-centered connection. Welcome home, brother. Thank you, Jesse Brune, for being on the Girly Men podcast. We're excited to have you here. Thank you. Before we dive in, can you encapsulate maybe where you are today? It's like, how did you get here? <laughs> in 30 seconds. Really quickly? <laughs> uh, just, 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 just make it interesting. <laughs> sure. All right. I'm the founder and spiritual director of Active Love Ministries, which is a metaphysical spiritual community. Our main focus is sort of supporting um, those on a spiritual path and especially those that feel called to become spiritual leaders and uh-huh. community leaders and mindful activists through programming and special classes and things like that. Ten years ago, I co-founded Inspire Spiritual Community which was an independent new thought spiritual community for LGBTQ plus peoples and allies. And I um, was the spiritual director there for seven years, 2013 to 2020. That was, I wasn't supposed to be a minister. I'm an accidental minister, by the way. Like I thought I was just doing something nice for the community because I just loved, like um, I was really into my spiritual practice and meditation and all of those things. At the time, I was like volunteering at a Buddhist bookstore. Um, I was just really interested in how my thoughts created the experiences of my life. And I thought at the time, everyone was into that, but I was wrong. <laughs> Not really. Were you in West Hollywood when you were doing that? I, oh, we started in gay bars. We started yeah. having Sunday services in gay bars. Well, I um, love that you're in that environment and you, and you, and you thought that you're, everybody was into that. Well, you know, it's that is funny. so sweet. <laughs> well, that, that was kind of that wasn't an unintentional location, you know. So mm-hmm. I remember when we were at it's now the chapel, but it was here bar at the time. We would like come on Sunday mornings and sage the space because it smelled like I always said it smelled like bad decisions and broken dreams. <laughs> um, but it was like smelled like booty and vomit and all that stuff. So we would sage it. And then I would offer a spiritual teaching next to a poster of just like crotch. But it was a nice, it was sort of like a fun juxtaposition, if you will. That is amazing, especially since, did you do it at Revolver too? It was East West at the time. So we started at West Lounge for a year and then it closed down and then we went here. And in both scenarios, 
interestingly, like the owners of the bars just gave me the keys. They're like, sure, do it. I really, I always thought it needed a blessing. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it was blessed. We, we blessed it. We blessed it the best we could. So. Yeah. Well, so that leads me into a question. You're a family man now. You're a parent. Um, you're you're married. You um, how do you reconcile family, faith, and uh, sexuality, especially like being gay and literally being in the community? A lot of us people like me who come from a challenging uh, religious background, I can't imagine reconciling those. So how do you be you? Gosh. Okay. So I came from, I was raised Southern Baptist and there came that moment as many LGBTQ plus people um, can relate to when I felt as though that I, I had to choose between the God of my understanding and living an authentic life. And one thing that I've been blessed with and probably why I can do this and why I've been able to do this is that I've had a very loving family. I've had a family that supported me and mm. never chastised me or told me. I mean, I think they used it as an opportunity to grow themselves and look at their own limiting ideas and beliefs. My mother is a fierce mother. So she was, there was not a moment where she, she left the church when I did because she's like, well, if there's no place for him, no place for me. That and, is amazing. Um, but I was deeply religious. I was I had a very deep connection to God and that never left. But I will say that when I left, there was something missing. And I didn't I wasn't aware that I felt like something was missing, but it was. And how that manifested in my life was addiction, because I would try to fill that void with substance, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so sobriety is part of my story for sure. Okay. I've been, mm -hmm. I've been sober for almost 13 years, but you said reconcile. By when I say reconcile, um, I mean, how does it all fit together? It's, it's a right. puzzle piece, right? You know, and, and those are all amazing things. I felt the same void when I walked away from the faith I grew up, which was being right. Mormon. I missed all the ritual and the community yeah. and all that. Well, that is really beautiful. Ritual is really beautiful when done mindfully, you know? Okay, so all of it, like how you do anything is how you do everything. So I came to terms with my spirituality, my calling, the same way I came to terms with my sexuality. And it was a process of acceptance because for a long time, those wounds of religion and the wounds of the religious guilt were still there. Even as I was developing a community, a spiritual community and standing in a leadership role. And um, I remember it was sort of like in my dating life, I would keep dating these guys that had no interest in talking about it whatsoever. And I had a very rich spiritual life. I was, I mean, I was in practice at that time. I was apprenticing under my mentor. I was in spiritual practice three, four hours a day, like meditation, contemplation, studying. It was like, a, I was like a mad scientist coming up with a formulation. But I would date these guys that I was attracted to, but were not interested in talking about it at all. And what I realized was that pattern was my own judgment. It was a, it was a reflection of my own judgment, a, war, a, a fear of being rejected, a fear that people would see me as some weird zealot or like a hippie, you know, like some new agey, wacky person not being taken mm -hmm. seriously and all of those things. So what I had you, to do- Did you just say that the, something about you got you in those situations with those kinds of guys? Oh, did always. I, I mean, yeah, listen- Well, I think that's a big deal. That truth that you have, I think, is something that a lot of us need to learn. Part of the spiritual path is taking- 
full responsibility for the world around you, realizing that you created it, whether it be your individual experience or how you're contributing to the collective experience. It's about taking ownership of that. And so it's moving out of what I would call like the spiritual evolutionary stage of victimhood, right? Mm -hmm. Where everything's happening to me. Uh, it's out of control. So take responsibility for it. So yeah, I take responsibility for putting men in my life that reflected a fear I had. But then I was able to, once taking responsibility for it, once I became aware of it, I took responsibility for it and saw it as an invitation to love that part of myself, to celebrate that part of myself and mm. honor it. And shortly after that, I met my husband who loved the fact that I was a spiritual teacher and a minister and had this, you know, he didn't understand it, but he appreciated it. He showed up every Sunday. He was burning sage. He was, I mean, he's, he's a writer. He's written about his experiences in doing that because it is sort of a tall order sometimes, especially yeah. when it's a little more abstract. Yeah, so I had to do my own healing work, my own forgiveness work around organized religion and things to that. So I could stand okay. in a place where I feel like I am in integrity yeah. as in my position of being a spiritual teacher as being a minister and a community leader. How do you describe your personal spiritual center? I identify kind of lightly as a modern mystic. And so Active Love Ministries, which is my organization, is a metaphysical spiritual center. And so metaphysical, very simply meaning beyond the physical. So how does everything connect and unite? Mysticism being an experience of God, right? Or love or the divine, however you want to say it. So through your practice, removing the blocks, blocks being beliefs, thoughts, unloving habits, anything that causes stress, removing the blocks to the awareness of love's presence. So the main text that I use, because it was what I got my ministerial license in, is A Course in Miracles. And A Course in Miracles was made very famous by Marianne Williamson. I think she's probably the biggest base of it. A lot of people think she wrote A Course in Miracles, which she didn't, but she's a teacher of it. Yeah. And so that's how I, I identify myself. That is amazing. I mean, it's it's very what I create in my mind when we talk about a lot of traditions used to celebrate queer people as they were the shamans. They were in touch with the other side. And that's what you just described. Do you think that we have any particular propensity to be spiritual leaders or mystics or alchemists or anything, queer people? Sure. I mean, I, I would say that's our natural state is one of love. I think that the queer experience of self-acceptance and I would say celebration <laughs> of our unique expression inspires people. It's very inspiring. I think that our brothers and sisters who are moving through the trans experience are teachers in their own right. Because um, I always say we teach through our demonstration. So to be able to courageously own your own expression is confronting for a lot of people. Like we see, it's so confronting for a lot of people that they try to diminish it, distinguish it. People get murdered for authentic expression, for celebrating who they are. Yeah, it's wild. I mean, I think... So, that, so they yeah. are teachers. I mean, that, that shows the courage it takes to, to be authentic. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, and teaching in a, I think it's in a more abstract way than we are familiar with because there is that idea like I it's not my job to teach you 
So again, the responsibility to learn is ours. Yes. They're yes. They're demonstrating something very powerful. And so what I mean by the responsibility to learn is if there is anything triggered within you that is causing upset or stress, that's an opportunity to do inquiry. Ask yourself, why am I upset? So the whole foundation, the whole principle that I teach is that since your your natural state is one of love, your natural state is one of peace, if you are upset, that's fabulous, great. Ask yourself, why? And in that inquiry, are you going to find freedom? Because if you start to question your thoughts, question your belief systems, then you can be free of them. Wow. I would just like to take a second and let that sink in <laughs> because- <laughs> That's where the work is. That's where the real work, especially right now with all this focus on social justice, the work is dealing, especially for uh, white men like me. It's what you're talking about. That uncomfortableness is where there is growth and leaning into that is where there is growth. As opposed to just saying, I have to turn the channel. This is too hard. I'm not going to have this conversation because I don't talk politics. The kind of things that... Oh, yeah. uh, especially that white people can do that cisgendered people can do but every time a non-white person or a non a trans person walks out into the street it's every day they can't turn it off i think you're having right now we just entered into the only conversation we should be having right now yeah uh, yeah i mean it's a conversation about accountability and i feel as though accountability and judgment are two bit different things holding ourselves and others accountable for a vision of unity is a very loving thing now we are addicted to nice and we think that if something's not nice it's not loving but that's bullshit you know it's like i would just use this example if my kids are running with scissors i take the scissors out of their hand i might even put them in timeout that doesn't seem nice but it's loving now, if your particular set of scissors happens to be an elected position and you are causing harm from that elected position, we will remove you from that position because th that's your scissors. We're going to take it out. And that's very loving. So holding yourself and others accountable to inspire growth, to inspire evolution is loving. It might be uncomfortable. And yeah, we're talking white fragility here. White people aren't used to being held accountable, so they feel attacked. Well, it's time to grow. And I'm sorry that you feel that way, but I'll, I'll extend my yeah. hand. If there's too much resistance, I'll continue forward. But like, do your work. Keep your side of the street clean. I'm turning 40 soon. In like a couple of days, I'll be 40. Yay. I've been thinking, you know, like, okay, for the best decade yet, what am I going to do? You know, what's, what's new? And one thing that came to my mind was I'd like to really explore harmlessness in everything that I do. Like really embody harmlessness. And one thing that kept popping up in my mind is, okay, diet. Look at your food. Look how you're causing harm in your food. And so I was like, okay, am I really ready to go vegan? I've been resisting for a long time. Yeah. Am I ready to go vegan? And so I started to explore it and research it a little bit. I was like, if I'm going to do it, I need a coach or I need a group because I need support. And um, I found this one coach, this lady, and I – talked with her in a consultation for like half an hour and she was really a big advocate of owning it like watch those documentaries look at what you're doing know where your food is coming from if you're going to eat it at least have the integrity to know where it's coming from and you don't get to be blind anymore by it and then after you watch these documentaries if you choose to continue to eat it that's on you you are choosing to have a blind eye there 
And so the same thing goes for the equality movements that we're seeing right now, Black Lives Matter. You know, know what your vote is doing. I mean, I had a, a conversation with a family member last week where it got hated. I called the Republican Party a hate group. <laughs> but I was like, you don't get to, like, you know, as gay men, we have that best little boy syndrome, you know? Uh-huh. And I have the dust of it, too, where I don't want to upset anybody. I want everyone to love me. I'm going to be as successful and lovely and handsome and kind as I possibly can. You know, I've heard it called oppression sickness. Yeah, internalized depression. Yeah, I will be... I will be the version of a gay person that's palpable for you. So I'm not going to talk politics with you. Like you said, I'm going to be nice and all those things. But I just had had it. And I was talking to my family member who I didn't realize was Republican. But she tried to say, how can you say that it's a hate group? Your family votes that way. I'm like, yeah, they do. And if you're upset because they called it a hate group, imagine how upset I am that my family, who I love, that loves me, votes that way, empowers these people. and. You know, they tried to make it, well, it's not all bad. And I think that you're having a skewed perception. And I just advised, like, no, hate group, sorry. Look at what they're doing. You know, you don't get to be pro-life, but then be okay with brown babies being disappearing at the border, being separated from their families, being put in gate. You don't get that luxury anymore. Right, okay, right, right. Information. And then, like, you don't get to say, like, but we came to your wedding. We support you. That's like saying, well, I have a black friend. How can I be racist? Yeah, you know yeah, I mean? like, yeah. And by within a week, within a week of that conversation, Trump's administration sent like um, it was like a letter of support for a Catholic organization that gets taxpayer dollars to allow them to discriminate by yeah. that religious freedom bullshit. And then that took away the that whole healthcare thing with the uh, people of trans experience. Like it's taking away their their protection for getting the medical care they need. It's insanity. I was like, that is it right there. That's in the put, like you, that is what you are empowering by voting that way. And your vote, even if it's just a symbolic gesture, it's a symbolic gesture saying, this is what I am going to tolerate. Well, that day is done. We're done with that now. It is time to look at our side of the street. What are we empowering? Who are we empowering? Who are we being? What well, is our I- silence allowing? Well, I would like so, to take this moment then to actually address that, address the the people who are, we, we're open, we're open to making the change, but are completely blind to our white privilege and how we keep the systematic racism going with our silence. And it's interesting what you said about being vegan, because watching uh, these documentaries like I'm Not Your Negro and uh, this other, even John Oliver's last episode was very, very detailed on like how the police forces in the United States were developed. They were developed to catch runaway slaves and then to keep black people under control. It was not that the police system has gone bad. It's just it was designed this way. And those are all new things things to me, new information to me. And um, it has changed that. And I only watched that because I heard a number of black people say that they don't want to educate white people anymore. And I listened to that and I've taken it on. And I think this is a white person problem. Racism is a white person's most particularly white men's problem. And so that's the reason I'm glad that you are discussing this now and I'm supporting that discussion. Well, it's good because you're, you're curious. 
and your will. And I think that is the first step with anything. I think the first step in transformation is acknowledging that something ain't right and that you can see the examples of what you are not interested in anymore. The contrast, you see the contrast. And then the second step, which is so vitally important, is you become willing to try a new approach. And it's in your willingness, like A Course in Miracles would say, a mustard seed size of willingness is all that's required to allow the Holy Spirit in to start supporting you in shifting your perception, right? To start changing your mind. Holy Spirit can be translated to the divine quality of compassion, like the aspect of yourself, your mind that knows the truth, but also understands that you're having this human experience of separation, right? So how can we apply this? Even if what I said has absolutely no interest to you whatsoever, fine. We become willing to try a new approach and in our willingness is the way shown. And it might just be the next step, but can you be courageous enough to take that next step? And that's what we can do. And we're going to mess up and we're going to fall down and we're going to make mistakes. We're going to say the wrong thing. We're going to whatever, whatever, whatever. We can't allow that fear of saying the wrong thing, of not looking PC enough to prevent us from continuing forward anyway. And then again, we take responsibility. If we fuck up, we take responsibility for it. We own it. And then we do better. And it's, that's going to be the process of healing. You know, and we have, as again, like the white privilege, we have to be willing to do that without getting the accolades for it, without being acknowledged for it, because we love to be acknowledged for this, like everything that we're doing. Like, that's what we're talking about is like, do it to do it. Do it because, I mean, if you truly, I mean, in this age of social media where everything has to be recorded or it just doesn't really happen, are you willing to just do it to do it? If, if we are, if you can meet yourself there, then I really, truly feel the path will be shown. Because I don't have any answers for this. Like, well, I, I, I mean, I'm, I, I can't sit here as like the... I disagree. I totally disagree. <laughs> I think all the answers were in there if anybody wanted had to have their ears open. And I, I like how you say it just starts with that teensy tiny bit of willingness. Just be willing and the way it will be shown. And listen, having faith takes a lot of balls because you're putting your trust into an intuitive feeling, something that doesn't seem to be tangible, something that's in the invisible. However, my experience, and if you can just ride on my coattails until you experience it yourself, is if you continue to go forward in faith, you will have the opportunity to transform that faith into knowingness. And then you stand from a very powerful space of knowing. And so, but you can't get to knowing until you are willing to walk the path of faith for a while. And so if your gut is telling you, and listen to your gut more than your heart, if your gut is telling you that their change needs to happen, I need to take responsibility for my part in it. I'm willing to do what it takes. I don't know what that is, but I'm willing. I'm going to stay curious. I'm going to listen. I'm just going to follow my intuition. The way will be shown. Your contribution matters. Absolutely. And I would add to that, it's a vulnerable position. And that's what American macho culture tells men, don't be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not manly. When it is actually the biggest act of courage that you can do is I can put myself out there and say, I'm here to support it. And I don't know what's going on. But I know my intuition, like you said, I have the faith that this is the right place to be. And I have the vulnerability to say, I don't have the answers. Mm-hmm. You know? And that's, well, that's not okay for, for men to show up in society with that attitude. 
Right. You know. Well, yes, and and as, I don't care how gay you think you are, you're still conditioned by by male attitudes. Of course. Well, that's that's the spiritual path is untying the knots of conditioning, untying mm-hmm. the knots of attachment. And I mean, not to get all spiritual teacher on you, but uh, well, that's exactly what I'm that's do that's that's who you are. That's who I booked on this <laughs> I <would> call. Say, <laughs> I would say it's even time to transcend the idea of vulnerability because. Mm-hmm vulnerability suggests that there's an enemy out there and that you can be harmed. But knowing if when you start really understanding courage, you realize that in the eternal landscape of everything that doesn't exist. And so I say celebrate instead. The words I've been using instead of vulnerability lately are transparency and authenticity. Be transparent. You know, I don't know. Be, it's okay to not know. You know, it's okay to ha- not have the answers. Yeah. So it's okay to be like, let's all, I mean, and if anything, the gift of being LGBTQ, a member of the community is that we've learned how to be more authentic. Uh, We've learned how to express authentically. If not, we've at least seen people that have like really embraced their queerness. I mean, I've been, uh, I was so late to the RuPaul drag race game. I can't, I feel ashamed to tell you how late I was to the RuPaul Drag Race game. And it was my sister that turned me on to it. <clears throat> and now I'm happy to say that my children, my sons, know every word to Sissy That Walk. <laughs> like, again, opportunity to take responsibility and heal. At first I was like, ooh, should I be doing this? I don't want people to think that I'm pushing gay on them. Then I was like, this is a home they're in. I want to love this about them. I want to celebrate this. I want this to be a beautiful, fun, gorgeous thing. And... I don't know what the trajectory of their life is going to be, how they're going to identify in the future, but I want them to at least feel free to express themselves and know that there's nothing wrong with that. And so my sister and I started watching We're Here on HBO. Oh my God, such a great show. But I just love how like Bob the drag queen is just so queer and just loves it. And and he just is just this beautiful, authentic, just him and uh, or them I don't know the... Right, yeah. Well, that's another example. I've watched that show too, where queer people are going in as these magicians, these, you know, shamans, these transformers, creating magic with that authenticity that you're talking about. And I call that authenticity, intuition, spirit. It's all the same thing. Atman and yoga, you know, it's it's all divine. And they're so unapologetic about it. Yeah. And I saw like my own like things arise about that. I was like, wow, I'm still healing. And, you know, I mean, the, the roots of it, if you want to look at the broad picture, the roots of homophobia are in misogyny. Uh-huh. Because about, I mean, it's about my God, God forbid a masculine presenting man has any ounce of femininity in there. We have to crush the femininity out of them because that, that is the worst thing possible right. is to embrace the feminine. And, and that's so, just outright misogyny. It's just straight yeah. up outright misogyny. Yeah. And I don't want to cut you off, but I, I wanted to, you, you said that during watching that show that you um, still felt some of your own growth happening. Um, yeah. Can you maybe talk about that as like an example for other people when they have that twinge, when they, um, what was that? What was the process? Even though like you are where you are, you're the man you're speaking at, like today and you still say that you have work to do. How did that, what was that internal process for you? And was, did it last like two seconds? Did it last like a few mm-hmm. days? What was the process like? Well, I think it was when they like would go into these small towns in drag and I'd be like, oh my God. Or <laughs> first I'd be like, 
first I'd be like, well, when you're going to get yourself killed. And then second, I was thinking, oh my God, guys, like it's a bit much. Don't you think it's a bit much? But then I thought, why, why? Here are people that are just being themselves. They're artists expressing their art where they go. And they're courageous enough to do it in a place where it might be rejected or where historically um, acts of violence. I mean, they, they had the cops called on them for just being on the streets, you know, like they, we saw like that as well. But um, I just, I just noticed that like feeling of uncomfortableness in myself when I see displays of queerness like that, you know? And I realized like, I just so wanted to be the palatable gay man for so long in my life. I remember when I finally like got hip to the idea when someone would say, well, I'm not typically gay. I'm like, not typically gay. I remember I was dating this guy who would say, oh, I'm not typically gay, you know? And I'm like, or like he, he would really would pride himself on being able to pass as hetero. And I thought, I was like, what does that even mean? I'm like, do you sleep with men? Well, then that's pretty typically gay. Like That's, that's pretty the, gay. That's, that's pretty gay. Like, <laughs> that's, that's pretty gay. Um, but like realizing that that was uh, too, like a reflection of myself. I want to demonstrate what absolute self-acceptance and self-love is for my kids. I want them to see what that looks like. Mm-hmm. And I mean, even, listen, as a parent, it, there's some bullshit that you do on your kids. Same thing. I remember I had a friend come over to visit my oldest at the time. He was like, he was still like two and a half, something like that. The youngest was just a baby, but he wouldn't pay attention. He wouldn't look at my friend. He wouldn't acknowledge him. He didn't want to talk to him, nothing like that. Hmm. And um, after he left, I chastised him. I was like, listen, that was so rude what you did. If someone's here, you did it. And then in it, it's like almost I left my body and I observed myself doing that. And I'm like, whoa, I want everybody to like my kids. That's me. Yeah. And that comes from me wanting everybody to like me. And so trying to become a version that I think they want. That's that oppression sickness that we're talking about again, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm projecting that right onto my kid. And the truth is, let him ignore them. Let them like whatever. Like I teach them through my demonstration that it's important to acknowledge the humanity in the room. We have to acknowledge the life in the room. It is no longer acceptable to ignore people that are in our vicinity. Like we should really acknowledge the humanity in the room, but allow him to ignore that, ignore it, and see how that feels. See how people respond to him. Let let me demonstrate what it looks like when you're kind and you see people and you acknowledge people and then he can have that contrast and he can make that decision because I'm not in control of his personality. You know, that's Mm -hmm. up to him. But if he wants to act unkindly, he'll have the experience of what, how people respond to someone that acts unkindly. You were talking about your own internalized oppression coming out on another person, on your child, you know, and that's, that's where I hope we can all get. (laughs) I, I I hope that we can step back and just have that sensitivity. And I, I know it happens through meditation and mindfulness practices for me. I, I don't know how else how else to get people to do that. I, I, it's, it's a tall order to ask. I mean, it's why I taught yoga for a while, which is just like, this is it. This is what's happening right now. And all the answers are in you if you just open up your intuition, get out of your head and into your body. But I think that's a big risk a lot of people don't want to take. Listen, we're not bred 
to do this. Like, you know, taking those internal glances, it's something you have to look, you have to learn yourself. And I mean, it's interesting. Like I was really thinking like you have enough, like Facebook and all this stuff now. There's that saying, never meet your heroes, right? Because they'll disappoint you. Hmm. But the same is don't meet those guys that seem so perfect on Facebook because you realize many of them are miserable, but they're great at taking a good picture. You know what I mean? I remember before before I met my husband, I was sort of like chatting with this guy that I met online. He was like Facebook. We were sort of back and forth texting. He was like beautiful, just Adonis, gorgeous guy. He looked like he had everything together. And we were talking. He's like, well, what do you want out of a relationship? And he goes, I want a partner that's going to make me feel safe. And I was like, oh, stop. What? What do you mean you want a partner that's going to make you feel? No one's going to make you feel safe, honey. That ain't anybody else's job. That's your job. And I was like, oh, wow, this is a really. Well, don't, you, don't you watch Hallmark, um, Jesse? Oh, my that's God. What, that's what they tell us in every one of those in those love stories and all those movies. Awful. That... Awful. And so uh, I guess that's just an example of like we have been. Well, I don't want to step on that idea. It's a really, really important idea. This um, other person was saying he wants another person to make him feel a certain way. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is we have, um, and I think you and I had this discussion earlier that we have the creative process backwards. So we have been told and it's reinforced into our minds through marketing and advertising, all the ads, we are inundated with ads. It's all that you can't do anything without ads, ads, ads everywhere telling us that there's something missing. And if we get with that thing, then we're going to feel a certain way. I mean, look at what we have been taught since we're little. I mean, you know, if you get a good college degree, you're going to get a good job and then you're going to be a responsible person worth having their voice heard, right? If you have that good job, you're going to get a lot of money and then you're going to be respectable. You're going to have a place at the table. You're going to feel free. And if you get that car, they're going to know that you have, that you're worth your weight in salt, you know? And if you right. get, if you get the title, then you're going to be, you're worthy of respect. If you have a hot partner, that means that you're, you know, you have things together. If you have a hot body, that means that you love yourself and you got, and you're, and you take care of yourself and you're more valuable. So all of this stuff that we've been told, and then we get a lot of the stuff and it doesn't work. And we're like, well, what the fuck? That's not fair. <laughs> you know, I mean, I worked really hard to yeah. get this stuff. And what we can do, if you're tired of that, if it's run its course and you're ready for a new approach, um, and again, we come back to willingness, mm-hmm. if you become willing to reverse the creative process a little bit, and you look at all of the goals you have, the tangible goals you have for your life, and then ask yourself one by one, what do I believe this goal is going to do for me? How do I believe this is going to make me feel? Then that really indicates what your heart's true desire is. It's the feeling of freedom that you desire. It's the feeling of worthiness. It's the feeling of abundance. It's the feeling of respect. This is what you desire. And all of these things are pre-installed in you already. So it's not about getting it. It's about allowing it. It's It's about allowing what has always been to come out and express as your life. And then once you feel free, once you feel content, once you feel loved, then see what arises as far as inspired ideas that you'd like to create. 
And I always say that the life of your dreams rarely looks like you think it's going to look. In fact, there are moments in my life today, like I had it the other day, we've been going to the beach a lot because there's nowhere else to take the kids. So we take them to the beach and I was swimming in the ocean and I just looked at the beach and it was my husband and my two kids and they were just playing with each other. And my heart, like I just felt so full in my heart. And it was like so deeply appreciative of what we've created with this family and those, the love I have for those boys, the love I have for that man. And I just felt so deeply grateful for that. And that all is a result of my ability to love myself. Because if I didn't do the work, the inner work that I needed to do, I wouldn't have been able to hold on to that. If I still believed that my value lies in how I'm desired, you know, how many people desire me, I would have cheated on my husband years ago. And listen, that is not a judgment in any way to a relationship that is polyamorous or anything like that. Whatever is your thing, whatever you feel feeds you or supports you the best, do that. But my husband and I are in a monogamous relationship, mm -hmm. but I would not have been able to stick with that commitment with him had I not done that work because I was always looking for outside validation. I needed someone to prove to me that I was worthy. And it's a fruitless, fruitless task, you know? You know, it's, it's the residue of daddy see me, you know, daddy appreciate. Mm, yeah, well, I like uh, what you said at, at the beginning of this, and that was just, I, I like that whole um, example that you gave there, is it's not about like reaching out, grasping to get what you want. It's about allowing what's already inside of you to come out. I think that's yeah. profound. Well, I think that the spiritual path is actually, I mean, you always, you hear the, the word seeker, I'm a spiritual seeker. And I mean, if you identify as a seeker, then you're going to keep looking, you know, <laughs> but I think it's much yeah. more fulfilling to explore and discover and allow. Like that book, The Alchemist, it's a great story about a guy that goes on a hero's journey only to discover that what he was looking for was where he started. Right. And that sort of... The path, the spiritual path, is to realize that all of this was always here. Yeah. I thought I had to get something to prove something or do something to prove something. And even a lot of spiritual students will, all right, I'm willing to take the spiritual path if it means I'm going to get the cash and prizes. We're, we're looking for that secret. I mean, and isn't that like, look at all the coaching programs out there these days. They have the secret. And we think that there's something that we don't know that if we get that little nugget, then it's going to change everything. It's about yeah. letting the programming go. It's about letting all that go. It's um, what I say on Girly Men a lot is, you know, doing the inner work is great because you get what you want. But first you have to figure out what you want. That's the hardest part with mm -hmm. all of getting what you want, as far as I'm concerned, is figuring out what you want because we have all these programming telling us what we want. Let me, I'll make it very simple. So grab your pen and paper as listeners. Here it is. What you want is happiness. That's it. That, I mean, at the end of it, that's what you want. What you want is happiness. Now, the big question is, are you willing? Are you willing to be happy now? Can you like process that? Now, I'm not telling you that you have to, I'm not trying to glamorize poverty. I'm not trying to do any of that. Whenever a teacher would say this to me, I'd be like, honey, you're trying to tell me that I have to live in like a studio apartment in Hollywood and drive a yeah. Corolla, and I, that, I, I'm not gonna, that is not gonna be my life. I'm gonna be successful, I'm gonna be la la la. But I was still operating under this idea that I had to prove my worth, I had to 
prove something in order to be loved. Even with developing my, my career as a spiritual teacher, I thought if I'm not Oprah's best friend, if I'm not all of these things, then why am I even doing this? And I, I'm still operating from that idea that I had to prove my worthiness to be loved instead mm. of just doing this because it's what I love. And also it brings benefit because the more people who are at peace, the more peace we're going to see manifest on the planet. Because what we're seeing out here in, in the world is it's an outward reflection of an inward condition. So whatever you're feeling in here is what you're going to create out there. So if you feel afraid, then you're going to create situations that are going to make you scared. You're going to find proof that there's something to be afraid of. If you think that all Republicans are fucked up and everything, blah, 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 you're going to go and find proof that that is true. So are you willing to, again, reverse that creative process, do, take an inward glance and say, am I willing to feel peaceful now? And then the kicker is, are you willing to release your hostages and tear down your idols? A hostage is anyone that you expect to act a certain way so you can be okay. Who in your life do you needs to act a certain way so you can be happy really take stock in that that's a big like ah moment how do you think your partner's supposed to act so you can be happy how do you think your parents should act so you can be happy how does your boss need to act so you can feel happy how does the barista at starbucks have to act so you can be happy are you willing to release all of those people and take full responsibility for your peace of mind and then the idols you create, do you believe that you have to be in perfect health in order to be happy? Do you believe that you have to have the right job in order to be happy? Do you have to, I mean, if anything, that this, this COVID-19 crazy experience has taught us that those things come and go, you know? Like, are yeah. you willing to feel happy now? Like, are you willing to pull the blessings from every experience? And, and listen, it's possible. Three years ago, my son died. Very unexpectedly. We uh, were in the process of adopting him. We had brought him home from the hospital when he was two days old. He was eight months. He was beautiful. He couldn't be a more gorgeous, lovely little baby boy. And he had what we thought was a stomach virus. We took him to the doctor. They sent us home. We went to urgent care. They sent us home. We went to the emergency room. They sent us home. They're like, he just wants his daddy's. Just make sure he has liquids and all this stuff. And then two days later, I brought him to the hospital and said, you have to look at this kid. Something's not right. And within two hours, he died in my arms. His heart gave out and he had an undiagnosed heart condition called Kawasaki disease, where the blood vessels around his heart were 10 times the size they were supposed to be. And what had happened was he did get a stomach virus, but his heart couldn't handle the stomach virus. And mm -hmm. so we had to go through this experience of grief. And now I teach a lot of classes on grieving because I learned a lot because I was willing to and I I didn't know why like I rarely know what anything is for but I remained willing even in the most that like you know my husband and I were talking about it your child dying is an excuse to be miserable the rest of your life we could relapse with drugs or alcohol and it'd be completely justifiable everyone would understand we could act out sexually we could do whatever we wanted to do and it was a perfect excuse to do that, but we didn't. But we, we stayed with each other and we allowed ourselves to have a grieving process, but we paid attention during it. And 
a couple things occurred during that experience that, like I said, helped me. I mean, I, I always call him the little guru now because I feel like he was an enlightened little master that came to this planet for seven and a half months, knew nothing but absolute unconditional love, was just enveloped in love, so much so that his little heart couldn't even take all the love that was being directed at him. And then he transitioned to go into another experience, you know, and left us with the opportunity to learn so much. And he walked me across the bridge from faith to knowing on a lot of things because I would teach, like I teach spiritual teachers. That's what I do. I educate those that feel called spiritual leadership. And one of the courses I teach, it's a four month course on what happens when you die. What ha like that's something that you need to be able to talk about as a spiritual teacher is what happens when you die. And I taught that course for years but it wasn't until I went through this experience of losing my own son that some things clicked into place and I realized, oh, this isn't just a nice idea. This isn't just a really lovely text. This is real. This is true. I remember it was like four days after he had passed away. My family had come into town. We were congregating at my house. My mom was such a mess that she could not drive. She, couldn't, she just couldn't drive. So... I went to go pick her up one morning and on the way back to my house, we passed a hospital where our friend Barbara had died two years prior. And Barbara was this cool woman. She was in her seventies. She was uh, at the time, like years ago, I was a fitness instructor. She was one of my clients. She would take my spin classes. She was just this like, you don't mess with Barbara. She's dope. Um, she's got your back. She really helped my mom when my mom moved to LA. Um, she got her, helped get her integrated and stuff like that acclimated and she died very suddenly like she had a breathing thing and I went to visit her in the hospital the day before she died and I was like you're fine you're gonna walk out of here she's like uh-uh I'm going I'm leaving I was like no don't be silly and I got a call that night that she died I was like shit okay anyway so Barbara's been dead two years I pick up my mom we're going to my house I'm sitting on the couch my family's there everybody's mourning everyone's kind of quiet talking whatever and my phone rings and I look at it and it's Barbara's number. Wow. I literally just talked about her half an hour ago. She's been dead two years and she's calling my cell phone. And I remember looking at my phone thinking, am I ready to pick up this? <laughs> am I ready to answer this call? Right. I don't know yeah, I'm exactly. prepared for what's on the other side of it. So I picked it up and it was just some static and then it clicked off. But like a second later, it just clicked to me. And I was like, Barbara has Caden. She's got him. She's hmm. letting me know that it's all good. She's got him. And I went into the kitchen where my mom was. And I was like, mom, look at my phone. Look at the call. And she goes, Barbara. She goes, then she just looked at me. She goes, Barbara has Caden. And I was like, Barbara has Caden. It's all good. And she wow. it was, it would totally be her personality to be like, get, let me have this baby. This is my baby. Thank you very much. Everyone else get out of here. I got this. So some people might be like, well, that's just, a coincidence you can't say blah 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 but when you're open and willing then the universe responds to that you'll get the messages that you need to support you in continuing forward and what that proved to me was life is eternal life doesn't start at birth and it doesn't end at death there's something so much more um going on here than what mm -hmm. we can see our eyes and this is why i do this work and i believe in it but those experiences help buoy me to a space of knowingness so i can speak with authority on this stuff which is why i feel called to do it 
and I remain willing. And so let's circle it back around to our whole conversation. This is what we get to do as people that are interested in being conscious and conscientious members of our society is we stay open and willing to do what is required so that we can stand as conduits of change and transformation so we can support the evolution of our culture so we don't fall into the freaking sea from stagnation this is what we get to do and it requires the willingness to do the inner work to ask ourselves wow i'm feeling really upset here why why am I this? And the most powerful phrase we can include into our vocabulary and ask ourselves is, is this true? So when you think something, ask yourself, is it true? And here's the kicker, something that can set you free is just because you think it doesn't mean that it's true. And so um, here we are and the invitation is here. And what are you, what, who are you interested in being? What do you aspire to be more than just your career and your money and your body and your all that shit? Because here's the thing. The body's going to go one day. The career is going to end one day. The money, I don't know. And perhaps you'll be fortunate enough to just like swim in it the rest of your life. And maybe you won't. But if you have built a house on that foundation, it's flimsy. It's a flimsy foundation. One of the things that we have to give up is, I'm speaking from experience, I needed to give up my own sense of victim superiority. I'm a victim because, and I can just count all kinds of reasons, you know? And um, then I get to live as a victim, but a victim isn't getting me any towards that one thing that we all want that you talked about. <laughs> it's, well, it's antithetical to happiness, you know? And I, and I think that you're, you're talking about a path that creates, uh, it's a little more demanding um, because it, it, we, we need to be present. We need to be conscious. Um, but the rewards are freaking happiness. <laughs> it's yeah. demanding until it isn't. Right. It's demanding until it isn't. And I, like you said, the rewards of it far surpass, you know, the words of being a victim unconsciousness, you know? Yes. Yeah. And you said something about like sort of righteous victimization. We're addicted to specialness because we believe that our survival rests on our specialness. So whether it be, I'm going to be the most successful, I'm going to be the best looking, I'm going to be the wealthiest, I'm going to be the funniest, I'm going to be whatever, whatever makes me special, or I'm going to be the sickest, I'm going to be the most victimized, I'm going to be the whatever, mm. whatever, whatever. Um, you know, That's in the very first of- part of the, the book about white fragility is our individualism. We are really addicted to individualism. It's time now to look towards the collective, to look towards, listen, we can celebrate our unique expression as we explore the common threads that connect us all. That is the mandate here. And I think that when you are willing to do that, you begin to realize that our most valuable form of currency is our relationships. And if our tribe is healthy, if our community is healthy, then you will never be in need. But we Mm -hmm. have to be able and willing to take care of those that are in our community. And let's let's throw out the idea of coincidence again. Like, let's just get rid of that and say that if it is in front of you, it's in front of you for a reason. Now, what are you going to do about it? If it's in front of you, it's there for a reason. And so just work with what's in front of you. Don't, Mm -hmm. you don't have to get like so lofty because if you get so lofty and you look at like larger pictures, you get overwhelmed. And then that overwhelm induces 
uh, burnout and you can't do anything. So just work with what is in front of you now. And then again, the next step will be shown. Just remain willing. That's awesome. Well, this is so much. I, I'm feeling really jazzed um, from, from our conversation today. How do people get in touch with Active Love uh, Ministries and what, what's yeah. there for us? So activeloveministries.org. That is the website. Everything you need to know is there. I really believe in giving away as much as possible. I really am committed to uh, having resources available for people who are interested in them. So a lot of what we, how we operate is through uh, donation and things like that. Mm-hmm. But we, I have a 21-day radical self-love challenge, totally free uh, on the website. And if, when you sign up for it, you get three weeks of, you have a different practice every day. Sometimes it's meditation. Sometimes it's a little challenge for you. Sometimes it's a, a writing practice. But it's 21 days of practices to inspire a deeper sense of self-appreciation and peace. So that's there. Uh, and then every Saturday at 10 a.m., I do a live interactive teaching. So it's, uh, it's on Zoom. I teach and then there's a Q&A portion and there's an opportunity for people to uh, break off into little groups and discuss. So it's just about building a virtual community, which I'm really passionate about right now. I'm really interested in. So yeah, so just go there and if you want to get a hold of me, go there. You'll, you'll find me. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for adding your voice to all the other voices here on Girly Men and encouraging us to you know, be ourselves and come from love and do the work um, that will get us to happiness. So with that, I'll just say thank you and uh, we'll sign off. Rock and roll. Thanks. Okay. And that gentleman was Jesse Bruin, a gay man whose connection to his spirituality is the key to true freedom and getting what he really wants. Not what the world tells him what to want, but what he really wants. And may you, brother, find time in your life to sort out what you really want. That's the hard part. Knowing what you want. Getting what you want is the easy part. But I believe that the answers to our own happiness are inside each of us. We just need to, as Jesse said, make room by letting go of the advertising hype and simply letting the knowledge that is already inside of us to come forth. Until next time, this is Mike Gurley with the Gurley Men Podcast. Thanks for listening to the show, my friend. Now stay connected by subscribing to Girly Men Podcast and sharing with your friends on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else podcasts can be found. Visit the webpage at girlymen.com, sign up for the newsletter, and find more details about each episode. Let's make this a conversation because I'd really like to hear from you. Join us on Facebook at Girly Men. Submit your questions, suggest topics, or just chat with your brothers. Want to add your own two cents? Use the voice memo feature on your smartphone. Ask a question or say anything. We just might play it on the podcast. Email the file to mike at girlymen.com. Until next time.